I want to thank everyone, boys and girls, everyone. Turn in your Bibles today to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. Please do that. That's a request that I'm making. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. And I'm going to ask the congregation this morning to read very carefully, methodically, prayerfully, the words found in 2 Corinthians verses 1 through 5. Will you join with me in a big, clear voice? Thoughtfully and carefully, the words will read. 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5, together. I, Paul, myself beseech you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who am patient, presence, and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you, <clears throat> but I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now, beginning with the next few verses, we're going to call these verses our base camp. We're going to camp out on these verses today in this house. And when we do, we'll be coming back to these base verses, base camp verses, we'll call them. But we'll be going out from the base camp to other parts of the Bible. So let's set up camp right here, right now, by reading the next verses. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now, wait a minute, that's a complete thought. Everybody say out loud with me. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That's a statement from God's word. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And everybody can say amen, let's pray. God our Father, we thank you this morning that we may invite the power of the Holy Spirit into this congregation that we may scatter in the name of Jesus Christ every wrong spirit, every wrong mindset, Every evil spirit, every demon, every power of darkness. And that we may invite the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the power of God. And Father in heaven, we do humbly acknowledge that the knowledge of God is your word. Your word is true. 
and human opinion must bow to the word of God. Human opinion means nothing, but the word of God means everything. The word of God will be standing when nothing else is standing on this earth. God's word will still be true. Every word of God will be true. That's knowledge, the source of all knowledge. So Lord God, help us today. Give us right mind thinking. Today, Father, on this historic March 18, we now enter into a time of spiritual warfare against wrong thinking, against elevating the human opinion above the Word of God. Father, teach us. Subdue us with the power of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that your name and your kingdom may be exalted, that every man and every woman, boy and girl and child in this body may know that God has been here today to teach us of his word. This we pray in Christ's name and for his sake, amen. Now the title of our lesson today, beloved, is Pulling Down Strongholds. You read that in the verses we just read. Look down and see those words. Pulling down strongholds. Am I right? Are they in that Bible? They are in that. So my question is, what is a stronghold? A stronghold is anything that has a strong hold on your mind. I know that's not a very brilliant statement. But a stronghold is something that has a stronghold on your mind. It's a, it's a, a, a mindset that you have that may or may not be according to the Word of God. Now, a subtitle for this lesson, Pulling Down Strongholds, would be Waging Spiritual Warfare. We are in a war today, church. We are in a battle. We are soldiers engaged in warfare. And a stronghold is generally something that Satan is trying to build in your life that needs to be pulled down, destroyed and replaced by the knowledge of God's Word and Scripture. It has to do with your mind. We just read, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not out of the barrel of a three fifty seven. Not a hand grenade, not an atom bomb, not a missile. The Word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews 12, 4, verse 12. 
So we're looking at pulling down strongholds of wrong thinking. Wrong thinking can take you away from God's kingdom. So let's humble ourselves and submit ourselves today to the word of God. So here we go. I'm going to ask you now, dear congregation, if you'd be so kind to let me describe more completely what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a particular mindset that holds you captive. It's something that grips you so tightly that it frames the way you live your life. And it can be something that's positive and good, or it can be something that is tearing you apart and little by little, step by step, taking you away from the kingdom of God. So I want you to think about it. Now, in your homes, some of you will have central air heating and cooling. When you want to look to see how the temperature is, you look at a thermometer and you say, okay, my temperature is so-and-so. But you don't, you don't set the temperature of your home with a thermometer, do you? You go to the thermostat and you set the temperature. The temperature on the thermostat regulates the cooling and the heating. And it elevates either heating or cooling to all levels of the house. Think of your mind as a thermostat. Your mind is a thermostat. In spiritual warfare... The soul of man and women is involved. The soul is made up of the will, the intellect, and the emotions or the affections. So your mind, your intellect, the will that you think with, and the emotional part of who we are, our affections, that's all part of the soul, and the soul is where the battle is. That's where the battle is going to be. That's where you wage spiritual warfare. It's in the mind. And that's why the Word of God is so specific. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Strongholds. Strongholds are built by vain imaginations. Strongholds are built by every bit of knowledge that exalts itself above the knowledge of God and Scripture. Every human opinion housed in our minds today that is not in conformity to the Word of God is a destructive part of who you are. Hello. Every opinion shared in this 
congregation today that is not in conformity with the knowledge of God is a potential danger to you. And bringing every thought, think about it, bringing every thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, the purpose of our lesson today, church, you deserve to know the goal of this lesson. You deserve to know that. The goal is for you to experience a new way of looking at life, a new way to live your life every day, and to experience a victorious, overcoming Passover unlike any that you've ever celebrated. You have the ability, through God's glorious help, the aid of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to enjoy a Passover unlike any that you've ever enjoyed. God is ready to lift you up, but we need to be ready for the lift up. So, I remind you today that we are here to reset the mind, the thermostat that controls all the levels of how we think. Now I want you to think about that a lot because you may have the intent right. You may have good intentions. The intent may be good, but the content may be bad. If, for example, I were to be playing the role of a cook and I walked into the cabinet because I had a hunger for a nice, moist, Rachel baked carrot cake, I reached up into the cabinet to get Rachel's recipe and I inadvertently pulled down the recipe on how to make waffles. <laughs> so my carrot cake turned out to be a waffle. The intent was good. I wanted a carrot cake. But the content was awful. I ended up with a waffle. I may have the intent to have a good marriage. My intentions are good. But the content on how I'm getting there is rotten. Because I treat my spouse with anger. I don't love them like I ought to love them. I'm not courteous. I'm not kind. I want to be a good spouse, a good wife, a good husband. The intention is good, but the path I'm traveling is not getting me there at all because the content is wrong. I'm not a loving, caring spouse. 
And even though I want to build a good marriage, I'm tearing it down day by day with the content of how I'm treating my spouse. So the, the, the content has to match the intent, intention. Let me put it another way, church. Somebody says, why is God not blessing me? Because my heart is right. I have a good heart, but my life is pitiful. You know what's the problem? Your heart may have the right intent, but your head does not agree with your heart. Your head is taking you in a different direction. And you're going to go where the head takes you. The heart will follow the head. So you got to get your head straight. Hello? You got to, you got to make sure that the way you're thinking is the way God wants you to think. And then the heart will follow and you'll be achieving the victory. Now we'll come back to the base camp here in a little while, but I need you to temporarily turn to Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew's gospel chapter number 12, there is a remarkable discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 12, there is a conversation and Jesus is going to try to teach the Pharisees something that everyone in this building needs to know. What is it? I'll begin in verse 26 when Jesus said, If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Look at that verse and tell me, if the Bible is not telling us that Satan has a kingdom. There are only two kingdoms in this world. It's the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And every soul of Adam kind, that incorporates every Israelite. All Israel are born first from the race of Adam. All Adamites are not Israelites, but every Israelite is an Adamite. Amen? We just read in your Bible that Satan has a kingdom. He wants people in his kingdom. Now if I read on, it says, in the words of Jesus, verse 27, Matthew 12, if I by Beelzebub Cast out devils by whom do your children cast them out. Therefore they shall be your judges. Watch carefully. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come to you. So we have two kingdoms right here in view. There's only two kingdoms in the world. Everyone born of Adam's family, every Israelite, every Israelite either numbered in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of Satan. Hear that. Every one of us today 
is either in God's kingdom or in the kingdom of Satan. Hopefully, it's the former, the kingdom of God that we're in. Now, the goal of Satan is to incorporate as many people into his kingdom as he can gather. Who is he going for? Who is the target? Who has the crosshair? Who, are, who, are, who is in the crosshairs in this warfare between two kingdoms? Satan is not worried about the people who park their cars in front of a tavern. He already has the drunks. Come on, folks, loosen up. He already has the people that live on the wild side of life. He already has the people that go to a strip club or who look at the pornography screen. All the people that derive their high from a pornography screen, he's already got them in his camp. Hello. So who is Satan trying to get? Who, who, does, who does he want? Who does he want? Who's in his, who are the primary targets to be drugged from the kingdom of light? We're in a warfare church. Spiritual warfare means that there are two opposing forces, two kingdoms in opposition. Kingdom of God, kingdom of darkness. Satan is looking for the cars and the drivers that are parked in front of a sanctuary. Where worship is going on, that is where Satan's target is. Listen to me. Satan is not interested in the people he's already recruited. They're already in his kingdom. But every day he's seeking new converts from the kingdom of light. My pleading to you today is don't be taken from the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness through wrong thinking. Don't let the wrong mindset become the basis for how Satan drags you out of the kingdom of God. If the congregation be so kind to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Thank you. Ephesians chapter number 6. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6.10. Thank you for looking hard at this, at this scripture. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Hey, that's a command. Folks, that's just as real as the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. Finally, my brethren, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. His might. Put on the whole armor of God 
that she may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's another command. Can somebody say amen? That's a command from Scripture. Put on the whole armor of God that she may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If you, don't, if you don't even understand that we fight against a fallen angel named Satan, God bless you, you need help. Put on the whole armor of God. This is a command. Now we'll come back to Ephesians 6 in just a little while. But I want you this morning, as you think about this, I want you to notice what else we read in Ephesians 6 as we read on. We wrestle not against, read it with me, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Wherefore, now we'll come back to the wherefore in a minute, in a few minutes. Right now, let's, let's focus on we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Do you know what we're looking at there? We are looking at a hierarchy of angelic beings that are in the, in the kingdom of Satan. You mean, you're telling me that Satan has a hierarchy of angels? Yes, he does. Angels that left their first estate in a warfare in heaven. And they now are numbered in the kingdom of Satan. There's a hierarchical order of these angels. So now you say, you mean to tell me that Satan is such a mastermind that he's organized a hierarchy of his angels? He's categorized them into different orders and levels? No. Satan is a counterfeit. Everything he does is counterfeiting God. It is God who organized the angels in heaven in the beginning into hierarchical order. Now, can I prove that from the Bible? Yes, I can. Would you join me in proving all things by God's word? Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Who is the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. I'm in Colossians 1, 15. The invisible God who is the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things what? Come on. Created that are in heaven. What's the next thing created? Created in heaven and on the earth and what are they? Well, I'll read again. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible. You can look at the visible part of the creation out the window and see trees. 
but the invisible world that you cannot see is where spiritual warfare must be waged. Whether they be thrones or dominions, these are orders of angels. Thrones, dominions, principalities and powers. Friend, these are some of the same words, nomenclature, that we just read in Ephesians 6. It is God who organized the angels. Satan's a counterfeiter. But he used God's order for his own evil designs. All things were created by him and, all, and for him. Satan is the creator of nothing but confusion and havoc. He's not the author of anything, but he's the counter of every, counterfeiter on everything. So, with that in mind, church, we are now ready to go back to our base camp. So let's pick up, pack up, and go back to the base camp. And where is that going to take us now? To 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Back to base camp. So by turning to 2 Corinthians 10, I'm back now to verses 3, 4, and 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, now hold on to that thought. The weapons of your warfare to build a better marriage, to build a better family, to build a better church, to build a better Passover. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God because they will pull down Strongholds of wrong thinking. Strongholds of wrong thinking. We need to reset the thermostat of our minds so that the content of our mind will match the intent of our heart that we can obtain that which the heart desires. I want to be a good church person. I want to be a member of a great family. I want to be a, a spouse in a great marriage. Well, let's bring the head and the heart together and we can achieve that goal. But we will never build if the head is taking us one way while the heart wants to stay in the right way, but it has to follow the wrong thinking of the head. Now notice it says, in pulling down strongholds, there are three things that have to happen. These are not my words, church. I'm reading them from the Bible. What are the three things that must happen to pull down a stronghold. 
to pull down a wrong mindset that's ruling over you today. Number one, casting down imaginations. Now what does that mean? Casting down imaginations are the fears that grip us. They, they might be the what if. What if my wife doesn't love me anymore? What if my husband has roving eyes for another woman? Fears. The mind loves to feed on fear. But God says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. That's what God says. Satan says, let me fill you with fear and apprehension. Let me get your mind tied up in knots. Let me get you worried about whether your husband or your wife loves you. Let me get, let me get you all frustrated about your inability to be a successful person. Satan says, let me wake you up every morning and say, you loser. Get out of bed, you loser. No, stay in bed. You might as well stay there because you're a loser anyway. You have the potential to listen to negative voices. And do you know people that negativity will take you away from God's kingdom? Negativity is not a healthy thing. So when you arise in the morning, you don't say, woe is me. I'm a loser anyway. I guess I'll just show up late to work. Second thought, I don't even think I'm going to go to work today. I think I'll just take a day off. Wait a minute, I took yesterday off. No, I, I better go in. Yeah, I'll be late, but so what? Maybe they'll notice me. People, we got to get a grip on our minds and how they work. That's how you wage spiritual warfare. It's through right thinking. It's through setting your mind in the way that God wants you to set it. So the imaginations that you must cast down are the fears that grip you. For example, I'll give you a good example. This is personal. Thursday, I picked up the phone. And I was going to call my good pastor friend, Reed, and say, Pastor Reed, I do not believe it's going to be possible for me to give a lesson. Because I do not feel strong enough yet to give a lesson. And I was hounded to pick up that phone all day long. Believe you me, I even put my hand on the phone and I, I actually pressed the dial several times. 
But there was a power that made me put that phone back on the hook. And that power is why I'm here today. Certainly not any credit to me. Or I would not be here. I mean, I'd be here, but I'd be sitting in a chair. But I'm standing because I want you to have a wonderful, victorious, overcoming, glorious Passover. And I want you to walk home today with a happy way of thinking your way through life. That's what I want. That's what I pray that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will give to every man and woman, boy and girl in this congregation. So we've got to cast down the imaginations. These fears that come into your mind through negative thinking are not from God. God loves you. Why did God give you life? Why did God choose you? To be conceived, to give you a life, put you on this earth. He did that because he has a mission for you, a purpose for you. And you are very important to him. There's no one that's not important to God. Every man and every woman and every boy and every girl has a noble mission to accomplish in this world. Every Israelite is on a mission. A mission to serve the king of kings in his kingdom. So number one, we got to put down, the, we got to cast down imagination. We pull down strongholds, that's wrong patterns of thinking, that have taken a hold of us. They have us in a strong hold. Wrong thinking patterns that hold us prisoner. We want to break out of that prison of wrong thinking. That's the goal. Casting down imaginations, what's the next thing? And everything that exalteth itself above the knowledge of God... Do you know what the knowledge of God is? That is the Word of God. Sanctify us by thy Word. Thy Word is truth. John 17, 17. If you continue in my Word, then are you my disciples indeed. John 8, 31. Know the truth and the truth will make you free. John 8, 32. Thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Psalm 119, 160. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Seven times ought to make them pretty pure. Thou wilt preserve them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve thy words from this generation and forever. Psalm 12, 6 and 7. The word of God is the knowledge of God. 
We bring down wrong thinking by replacing human thinking with God's authoritative word. The more you read the Bible, the more prepared you are to know the knowledge of God. You cannot replace worldly knowledge and worldly opinion if you don't have some idea of what the knowledge of God is. And that's why we read our Bibles instead of letting dust collect on them. So, pulling down a stronghold means that I change my way of thinking. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says it this way. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So let me look at life from two different perspectives. Perspective A is, Woe is me! I think I'm going to have a bad day. I just feel it. I'm not sure that anybody at the Church of Israel really loves me. I believe that people are purposely ignoring me. I'm convinced of it. I want to be a victim. And by golly, I'm going to prove myself to be that victim. Because everybody's against me. If I keep telling myself, I can easily become a victim. We live in a country that's grievously buried in victimhood. Everybody wants to be a victim. Well, by golly, let's not be victims because God has given us two legs, two arms, and a mind. And by George, we can be what God wanted, intended us for, to be. We can be what God wanted us to be. I may stumble. I may fumble. I may even throw a punt once in a while. But I'm on my way to the kingdom. I'm going to cross the finish line. I'm not going to punt and go to the sidelines and sit and pout. I'm not looking to be a victim. So you wake up every day trying to figure out how you can be a victim. How you can convince yourself that you're worthless. I can't do anything right. Really? You can at least think wrong. No, everybody has the potential to be what God intended you to be. So let's reach for the stars. We may not, we may not find that star, but we're reaching for the nearest one we can grab a hold of. So suppose I wake up with this thought. Suppose I get out of bed and I say, Look out the window, it's raining. Wanted to plant garden. And, and instead of being sad about the rain, I want to remember that rain is a blessing, always. So then I'm going to say, and we know that all things work together for good. 
To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, beloved, let me tell you something. If you'll take Romans 8, 28, or any one verse that's comparable to that, and let that be a way to program your mind, and we know that all things, you mean all things? You mean if my house burns down, that's, that's, did it say all things? And we know that all things doesn't say all things are going to be good, does it? Come on, help me. It doesn't guarantee you that all things are going to be good. We know that all things are going to work together for good, no matter how dark the sky may be, no matter how hard the rain may be falling, I promise you that for those who love God, who are thee called according to his purpose, all things are going to work out good in the final end. And you can take the worst tragedies you want to think about. And they're not exempt from that verse. Beloved, your presence here today by the grace of God is because you're holding on to enough right thinking that brought you into this building. However tenuous your position may be, how weak it may be, you're here and that's what matters. And God wants you here, but he wants you here Fully engaged, not barely holding on. I'm thinking of some situations today that seem on the surface to be very bad. When I crawled out of my truck on the 5th of January, after that, sort of a head-on collision. My head and, and the tail end of the truck I ran into, I didn't have very many positive thoughts the rest of that day. But you know that in every situation, all things will work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. It will not fail you. It is the word of God. Read the life of Joseph. From a coat of many colors. The most celebrated member of his family. To being thrown into a pit. Barely missing the act of murder by his own brothers. Sold into slavery. Auctioned off as a slave in a foreign country with a foreign language. Later accused of rape. Thrown into a miry dungeon. All things work together for good. Not one indication in Scripture 
is recorded where Joseph felt sorry for himself. He made the best of every lousy situation he was thrown into. He became the model slave entrusted with the wealth of his, his owner, Potiphria. He made the best of his prison stay. He became the model prison prisoner in charge of all the prisoners. Joseph could not lose for winning because of a mindset. Hello, because of a mindset. You need, I need, all of us need to get our minds straight. Lift ourselves out of the negativity and know that God loves us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Is that in the Bible? Hell, is that verse in the Bible? Sure is. It's in Romans 8. So, we continue. We are at base camp. We are in 2 Corinthians 10. We are learning how to cast down a stronghold. How to bring down a stronghold. We, we got to eliminate, cast down the imaginations. We got to get rid of these nagging fears that constantly worry us. Will my children ever, will they grow up good? Yeah, they're going to grow up good if you want them to and train them right. Your children are going to be magnificent, marvelous children. Why is that? Because you're going to train them to do the will of God. They're going to learn to be responsible as they grow up. And they're going to be responsible adults. So let's not worry about Needless fears. While I'm on the subject of fears and casting down imaginations and then every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And the third one is to bring into captivity every thought. Now, beloved, take a, take a look at that last phrase. And bringing, I'm in the last, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That does not mean that bad thoughts are no, going to come into your mind. But you're going to consciously, purposely reject the wrong thing, the wrong thoughts, and you're going to replace them with right thoughts. Can we do that? I say we can. I, sub I have some bad thoughts every day. Thursday I had a ton of them. Don't try to preach, you fool. Stay away from the pulpit. You'll probably give out. All I had to do is listen to my opinion. And it would have defeated me. I am here because I, I believed that God would help me through this lesson. And I haven't given a lesson for a long time. 
So I want to share something with you now. If you're a parent, listen carefully. If you're a husband, a wife, listen carefully. One of the most crucial books in the Bible is the book of Job. If you'll turn to the book of Job, I want to tell you something about the book of Job that you probably have thought about, but I want you to think about it a little bit more. So as we turn to the book of Job, remember in Job chapter number 1, the Bible says this in Job chapter 1 verse 5. This is what Job did every day. Now watch carefully. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, his children. He rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all, number of all ten of his children. For Job said it may be it might be, it could be, that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now, on the surface, that might cause you to believe that Job was a really good father. Every day, this father conscientiously offered sacrifices for the sons that he feared would be sinning. How many see that? Do you agree with that? Are we in agreement that that's what Job did? He did it continually. He didn't do it one time. He did it continuously. He went before his God because of the fear that he had that his sons would sin. Now, you have a right to question my thinking. That's your privilege. But I want to show you that this was wrong thinking on Job's part. And I want to prove it to you from the Bible. Turn in your Bible to Job 3, verse 25. And this is what the Bible says. Job 3, 25 Job says, for the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is coming to me. Now, he could say that because he lost all of his sons. He lost every one of his sons. All of his fears came true. What if Job had continually, every day, thanked God that his sons would be motivated to be godly men? Job prayed because he feared they would be sinners. Now, how does Satan get a, an entry into your heart? Satan gets a wedge into the door of your mind through wrong thinking. If you continually feed and foster vain imaginations, we'll call them fear, 
then you're setting yourself up to open a door and say, come into my home, Satan. Come into my mind and take possession of my frontal cortex. Do you remember what happened in Job's life? If you read chapters 1 and 2, Satan appeared. How did Satan get entry into Job's life? How did that happen? Did he come through fearful thinking, vain imaginations? Why did God give us the book of Job? One of the greatest books in the Bible. Now we're going to bring this lesson to closure, beloved, this morning. And we're going to do that because I'm going to turn and close this lesson down with the scene in the Garden of Eden. Let's, please, just for a quick moment to finish. We're, we're coming close to the finish line. We're in the Garden of Eden. We're in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. That serpent came into the garden. You know what the Bible says in Revelation 20 verse 2 and Revelation 12 verse uh, Revelation 12 verse 9 it says that old serpent called the devil and Satan just in case you don't know who the serpent is this congregation is very quiet makes me wonder if we're not all from the Methodist church the serpent came into the garden and what is he going to do? He is going to try to build a stronghold in the mind of the woman that's in that garden. Now God had given Adam and Eve the right mindset. God told Adam and Eve of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat thereof. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That's God's right mindset. Every tree is good for you except this one. Don't eat of this tree. You will die if you do. That is the pure knowledge of God, His Word. When Satan, the serpent, entered into the garden, he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, He shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What is he doing? He's casting down imaginations. He's going to move the woman from God's mindset to a stronghold over which he can rule this woman. He's going to cast doubt in her mind. Has God really said that you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? 
Now remember, people, what does your Bible tell you about the serpent? Jesus in John 8, 44 said, Ye are of your father the devil. The lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan is a liar. And every lie that he plants in your mind is just breeding new lies. Don't listen to the lies of Satan. Don't listen to those lies. He's a liar. If he tells you you're no good, you're a loser, that's a lie. You're made in the image and after the likeness of God. How dare you call yourself a loser? So the serpent cast down imaginations in front of the woman. He's setting a trap. He's moving her from God's mindset to his own stronghold. So now, he says to the woman in verse 4, Genesis 3, I'm about done, hold on. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Whoa! Now the serpent is saying, I have knowledge that's superior to the knowledge of your God. Ye shall not surely die. God told them they would die. Now the serpent says, Come on, you shall not surely die. He is vaunting his knowledge above the knowledge of God. Beloved, our human opin opinion, if it's contrary to the word of God, is destructive. Our minds must be in conformity with Scripture, the knowledge of God. Now he's moving the woman rapidly toward a new mindset. He's told her, that God may really not have meant what he said. Yea, hath God said. Possibility that God didn't really mean what he said. He's now convinced her, or at least he's trying to convince her, that she will not die as God said she would. Satan goes in for the kill. He's cast down imaginations. He's exalted his knowledge above the knowledge of God. And now, he brings the woman's mind into captivity. He says, verse 5, Genesis 3, For God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods knowing good and evil. That is not what God told him. Satan lied. He's the author of lies. Beloved, there is nothing better that Satan would love to do than to take you out of this congregation.
And I suggest to you today that you make up your, your mind that you are not going to listen to the lies of the serpent. Everyone in this congregation is here only because God's grace made them be here. If God did not want someone in this body to be here today, do you think God who created heaven and earth could not keep them from entering the threshold? Now they may not be everyone that you like, but they're here. So learn to get along with them. Learn to get along with them. They're your brothers and your sisters. So you say, no, 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 they're my enemy. Jesus said this. These are the words of Jesus. Ye have heard it said by them of old time, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That's not easy to do, but that's the way you defeat an enemy. You love them, you do good to them, and they will wither and lose their ability to be your enemy, if you think they are. So today, beloved, Passover is knocking at our door. And I urgently ask today that when you leave here, you try to identify where your stronghold might be. Where is the stronghold of wrong thinking in your life? Where is it in your marriage? Where is it in relationship to this church? Or would you be among those who would say, with regard to casting down imaginations or entering into fear, you know, I don't think I can trust the ministers at the Church of Israel. I know they mean well, but I just don't trust them. I know they've read their Bibles, but I don't know how well they've really read them. I don't think I can trust those ministers. Don't like their decisions. Be careful. You know, church... I apologize for keeping you a little bit late. I do apologize. Do you know that God has appointed angels over every nation, over every city? Do you know there's a designated angel for this church? In the hierarchy of angels, you all have a guardian angel. But God has appointed an angel that's guarding this church. My prayer is that angel that God has appointed will be bigger than the World Economic Forum. Bigger than the CDC and the WHO. That this angel on assignment from heaven is standing at the premises of this driveway to shield this church. Beware to mess with God's church. It's dangerous to mess with God's church.
because that's part of God's kingdom. And he, he loves that part of his kingdom. America started out as a nation of rebellion. We rebelled, 13 is the number of rebellion in Bible numerics. It's called rebellion. You know what the Bible says about rebellion? Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. America has more witch cavens than any nation in under heaven. There's more witchcraft in America today than any country in the world. More demons operating in Washington, D.C. More evil, more spiritual evil in this country today than any place on earth. Because this country needs to come to repentance. We're a nation in rebellion. You know what? Australia started out as a nation of convicts, right? They were the rejects of society. Australia's suffering today because they're still a rejected member of the family of Anglo-Saxon Israel. They're still a reject nation. And they need to overcome that rejection. So beloved, for the umpteenth time, let's be standing. <clears throat> 